Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist. Good to be with you this morning. I would invite you to fill out the attendance pads that you'll find in each of the pews and pass those to others in the pew with you uh, that are worshiping with you this morning. And welcome to those who are worshiping online as well. We are celebrating the Sacrament of Holy Communion this morning, so hopefully you got your little communion kit as you came in. Uh, If you uh, neglected to pick one up, they are out in the narthex, and I just invite you to go grab one of those so that you can celebrate the Sacrament of Holy Communion with us. And if you're worshiping at home, uh, go ahead and prepare some, some bread and some juice so that you can receive the sacrament with us as well. Uh, We are quickly approaching Easter, and uh, it's time to get your Easter flower orders in. The uh, flower orders are due by next Monday, a week from tomorrow. The order forms uh, have been in the bulletin the past couple of weeks, so hopefully you already got one. If you didn't, they're still available out in the narthex. There are extra forms out there. So make sure you get your Easter flower order forms in by next week. And as you look forward to Easter, make sure that you also mark Monday Thursday on your calendar, the Thursday before Easter, which is April 14th, we will have a Monday Thursday service of worship here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock that evening, so I hope that you will join us for that time of worship as well. There are a number of other announcements in your bulletin. I hope that you hold on to this, take it home with you, and look it over and note all those things that are coming up. We're collecting seeds for Jackson Area Ministries. The table for that is out in the narthex. We are collecting a special Lenten offering for Vacation Bible School, which we've been doing throughout the season of Lent and uh, quickly approaching the end of that. So you can uh, continue contributing for our Vacation Bible School. We've got the Rock Out for Mental Health, the uh, Memorial 5K that's coming up on May 7th in honor, uh, in memory of Rock McCullough. And uh, so uh, there's information about signing up for that or sponsoring that and a number of other announcements as well that I hope that you Uh, take note of. We come into this place today to offer God our worship and our praise, and so I invite you to be in that spirit. I invite you to stand as you're able for our call to worship. God has given us breath to live and spirit to sing. Thanks be to God. God has gathered us into a community of care and worship. Let us worship God with love thanksgiving and praise. Please remain standing for our opening hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. It is in your United Methodist hymnal, number 57, and we are going to sing verses 1 through 5.
you may be seated. Please join me in our opening prayer printed in your bulletin. Be gracious to us today, our Lord, for we are in need of your mercy. We are often quick to doubt and slow to pray. We are tempted to let go of faith when we need to hang on. We are discouraged by wrong when we need to be encouraged by your spirit. O oh God, we are thankful for the strength you give us to trust in you all the days of our lives. Amen. And you re uh, may remain seated for our prayer hymn, Hymn of Promise, number 707 in your hymnal. God, we have heard that promise, and we grasp onto that promise that even when we can't see it, you have a new way laid out before us. You have new life waiting for us. And so even as we draw through these days of Lent, we know that there is Easter coming, resurrection, hope. And life. And so give us eyes to see beyond these present moments and the, the suffering that we have to endure for this time to see the promise 
that you have laid out before us. Lord, we do lift up to you those who are in the midst of trials and suffering, illness and despair, and we pray for your special measure of mercy to be upon them right now, that they would know that they do not walk through this valley alone, but that, Lord, you are there to carry them through. Be their hope right now, Lord. Be their healing and restoration. And be that for us as well as we face trials and temptations. May we turn to you in all things. Lord, we pray not just for ourselves, but for this community around us and for this world. We want to see your will being done in a miraculous way. We want to see changes of hearts, and we want to see peace on this planet. We know, Lord, that that happens only through you. And so we turn to you and wait upon you to see your glory revealed. And as we wait, may we wait in faithfulness and in patience and following you every step of the way. We turn ourselves over to you wholly in Jesus' name. As we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship God through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us.
Please join me in the prayer of dedication. God of light, you gave us your only Son so that we may experience eternal life. We humbly give these offerings as a faithful response to this gift. Money seems so insignificant when compared to your gift of life. Yet we place this money before you as a sacrificial gesture of our gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture lesson today is from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, and then verse 13. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the other said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people had been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are who are wise will understand. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh. 
By this point, you might think that Daniel has told all the stories he has to tell and shared all the visions that would be worth sharing. But there is something very special about this last chapter of the book, something that sets it apart from the rest of the book, indeed something that sets it apart from the rest of the Old Testament. It is here in this last chapter of Daniel that we get the first and only clear, direct, unambiguous reference in, to resurrection in the Old Testament. Daniel 12.2 is the only verse in the entire Old Testament to use the phrase everlasting life. That may come as a surprise. Everlasting life is such a central tenet of our faith and of the teachings of Jesus. Resurrection is what all of the Old Testament scriptures were leading up to according to Jesus. But most of the scriptures pointed to it in a veiled form. It's not entirely clear what exactly the Jewish people believed about resurrection prior to the time of Jesus. There really was no one single view that all Jews held in common. We know that one of the sects of Judaism, the Sadducees, didn't believe in resurrection at all. They they believed that life in this world was all that there is. Which makes sense if you consider that the Sadducees were the well-off, the aristocracy. They were already living the good life. They rejected the idea of resurrection because they believed that only the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the books of Moses, those were the only books that they considered to be binding scripture. And nothing in those books of Moses taught belief in resurrection. That's why Jesus, when he was countering their disbelief, he argued not from the words of the prophets or from allusions in the Psalms, but from the very words of Moses. Jesus pointed out that Moses called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus then said that the Lord is God of the living, not of the dead. So if he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must be alive. Even the words of Moses testify to the promise of everlasting life. There are other allusions to eternal life in the book in the books of Moses. In Exodus 32, Moses is conversing with God about his name being in the book. What Moses means by the book 
is, is the same thing as what Daniel means here in Daniel 12.1 when he says, But at that time your people shall be li- delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Revelation makes it clear that this is the book of life, that everyone who will receive the gift of everlasting life has their name written in the book. Even Moses, way back when, knew about the book of everlasting life. There were plenty of Jews, though, such as the Sadducees, who didn't see it that way, who didn't read it that way. But the Sadducees were very much in the minority. They were a tiny sect of aristocrats. They certainly did not speak for the Jewish people as a whole. The majority of Jewish people, by the time of Jesus, did believe in resurrection in some sense, as something that would happen at the end of the age. They didn't yet have an understanding of why or how this would take place, but they believed in a general sense that it would. This type of general, uninformed belief in resurrection is exemplified in the words of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Her brother had died. He had been in the tomb for four days. She was overwhelmed with grief. Jesus arrived on the scene and told her that her brother would rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She believed, as most Jews in her day did, that the faithful of God's chosen people would be resurrected on what they called the last day, which simply meant the end of this present age of sin and death, whenever that would come. But that was little comfort to Martha in that moment. That day of resurrection was so far off. Who knows when it would come? For now, for now her brother was dead. He was gone. Where was he? Most would have said that he was in Sheol, a formless state of nothingness where souls just kind of lingered with no awareness, sort of like being in a dreamless sleep. The souls would linger there for years, decades, generations, eons, until the last day when at long last they would rise up to new life. That was cold comfort to someone who was missing her brother right now and who had no idea when that last day might come. Jesus answered Martha, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus let Martha know that although the bodily resurrection might not take place until the last day, her brother was not dead and gone until then. Jesus was bringing everlasting life into the present. Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. In Jesus, death is brought to an end. She would not have to wait until the last day, somewhere long into the distant, shadowy future, in order to see her brother again. Indeed, her brother still lived because of the gift of life in Jesus. And to prove it, Jesus would raise her brother from the grave that very day. Martha could not have understood until Jesus came. No one could truly understand until Jesus came the implications of eternal life. Their belief was clouded. They didn't understand it yet. But they knew it existed. They knew that the resurrection would take 
place. They trusted that everlasting life was promised to all of God's faithful chosen. They knew that. They believed it because they saw hints of it throughout their scriptures, such as the last line of Psalm 23, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They saw it in places like Job 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God. They saw the promise in Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live, their corpses shall rise. O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a radiant dew, and the earth will give birth to those long dead. All of these pointed God's people to the reality that life is not just for the here and now, that there is a resurrection beyond this life, that there is a life that surpasses death. But none of the writings of the Old Testament, none of the poets, no other prophet, none of them provided such a clear revelation, such a definitive declaration of that promise than Daniel. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The image that is given here is similar to the one given by Jesus in Matthew 25 when he describes the final resurrection as a time of judgment. All people of all nations shall rise up and they will be sorted as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Those on his right hand will be welcomed into the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Those on his left hand will be cast into the eternal fire. Already in Daniel, 500 years before Jesus, God revealed that the final resurrection would be a time of judgment, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What this tells us is that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. By by the time of Jesus, it, it was common belief that God's justice gets worked out in the afterlife. But at the time that Daniel lived, the, the Jews generally still thought of justice as very much a thing of this world. Throughout the book of Daniel, we have seen that faithful people are forced to suffer for their faith. In the stories from the first half of the book, there was always a happy ending. Daniel and his friends, after refusing to eat unholy food, were promoted to positions of power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after refusing to bow down to the idol, were rescued from the fiery furnace without even a singe. Daniel, after disobeying the king's order not to pray to God, was saved from the lion's den. Time after time, God rescued his faithful people and rewarded them for their faith. But the visions that Daniel had in the second half of the book showed him that it doesn't always work out that way, at least not in this world. He saw in one vision after another God's faithful people being tormented and and tortured by the powers of this world. He even saw that many of God's people would be killed for their faith. What kind of a God allows that to happen? 
The answer is the kind of God whose righteousness and power are not limited by the places and times of this world. The kind of God who can and does use even the evil powers of this world to accomplish his plan here, but who will not allow evil to go unpunished. The kind of God who will bring about his justice beyond what we can see taking place in the here and now. We look around at the evils of this world today, at the injustices that that take place seemingly without any requital whatsoever, at at the heinous acts that are perpetrated one person against another, one nation against another, and we ask, how can God allow that to go on? Don't think for a moment that anyone will get away with it. Don't think for a moment that any of the evil of this world will go unpunished. Even even if Putin is never brought to justice in this world, in this life, I, I pray that he is, but even if he's not, his life will come to an end, just as we saw in the last chapter. Every evil ruler eventually comes to an end with no one to help them. This chapter tells us their end in this life is not the end. Don't think for a moment that just because they died before justice was served that they've gotten away with anything. There is a judgment yet to come. Everyone will be held to account. Every evil will be punished with everlasting contempt. And those who remain faithful, those who remain faithful to the end, even even if they receive no reward in this life, They will shine like the brightness of the sky. Like the stars forever and ever. Without Daniel chapter 12, the rest of it would be unbearable. Remember that that Daniel himself, after receiving his earlier visions, he recounts how he was overcome. He was grieved. He was dismayed. He he did not understand. How could he understand a God who would allow evil to go on for so long? Unless and until he was shown the promise of eternal life and a God whose justice goes on forever. That's what he was shown finally here at the end of his last vision. Verse 5 takes us back to the beginning of the vision. Back in chapter 10, before the vision began, Daniel was standing by the banks of the Tigris River. Here in chapter 12, at the end of that same vision, he mentions the river again. This time he doesn't name the river, and he even uses a, a different Hebrew word for river. It's not that his physical location has changed, it hasn't. But what the river represents is different here in this part of the vision. In chapter 10, the mention of the Tigris is significant because it told us that Daniel was moving farther away from Jerusalem, farther away from what had once been the center of his devotion, farther away from what the Jews believed to be God's special place on earth, the temple. Here, the river represents not just what he is moving away from, but what he is being brought to. The river here sounds very much like what we find at the end of Revelation. 
the river of life. He sees two others standing by the river, two heavenly beings, two angels, one on the right bank and one on the left. I can't help but wonder if these are the same two angels that the women would later see at the empty tomb. And then there's another man, a man clothed in linen who was over the waters. We saw this same man clothed in linen at the beginning of the vision in chapter 10. He is the Christ, the risen, the triumphant, the great high priest who has conquered the world through his death and resurrection. He stands here over the waters. Just as the Spirit of God swept over the waters in creation. Just as Jesus, when he walked on earth in bodily form, walked across the waters, even through a great storm. The waters in the Old Testament times were often seen as a symbol of chaos, danger, uncertainty. The Spirit of God sweeping over the waters to bring forth creation. The Son of God walking across the stormy waters. The man dressed in linen standing above the waters. These all show that Christ is one with God and that he is in control over all things. Even the things that appear to us to be chaos and danger, he, Christ indeed, is Lord over all. The man clothed in linen, who was over the waters, raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. In one sense, he was testifying before God. In another sense, he was calling upon the powers of heaven. In yet another sense, he was revealing in his very form the reality in which this would all be accomplished in his crucifixion. The question that was asked by the angel, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? It's the question that Daniel was asking too. It's a question that we can't help but to ask when we see evil running rampant in this world. In his words at the end of the chapter, Christ gives some symbolic answers. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who arrives at the 1,335 days. What those two different sets of days represent, no one knows for sure. No one can know for certain until it all comes to pass. But one thing is for certain. Daniel asked, My Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? What is this all leading up to? This we can know for certain. Christ, with his right hand and his left hand stretched toward heaven, showed him the answer. This, this is what it is all leading to. My own crucifixion is the outcome of these things. My sacrifice will open the door to everlasting life. Then this last vision to Daniel and the book as a whole ends with 
the most beautiful and glorious promise given in the entire Old Testament. Go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of days. I don't know how long after this Daniel died. We've seen earlier that Daniel was already well into his 90s by this time. He'd had a a long go of it. He's lived through a number of kings under a few different regimes. He's had his faith tested time and time again, and, and every time he has remained faithful and true to God. He's been through ordeals that, that we couldn't imagine, and then on top of that, he was given visions of even more ordeals that would come upon his people over the next several hundred years, more evil nations, more treacherous kings. He stayed faithful through it all. And finally, finally, he is told, he is told by Christ himself, rest. Rest. I can't help but to think of the Apostle Paul in his advanced years writing to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give me on that day. I can't help but to think of the words of Jesus, again from Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Daniel is given that same commendation. Daniel is given that same permission to rest. Daniel is given that same promise of reward and righteousness, resurrection, and everlasting life. I want to close, close out our, our journey through the book of Daniel with these words of Martin Luther. We command all good Christians to read this book of Daniel. During these miserable last times, he is so comforting and helpful to them. Such prophecies of Daniel were not only written so we could know about old stories and future afflictions, as if to satisfy our curiosity with fresh news. Rather, this book was written so that the saints would be comforted and made joyful, that their faith and hope would be strengthened through patience. Here they see and hear that their sorrows have an end. They are free from sin, death, the devil, and all evil, and they will come to Christ in heaven in his blessed and eternal kingdom. May our beloved Lord and Savior guide us to this, and may he, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, be praised forever. Amen. I invite you now to join with me in the prayer of the great thanksgiving as we prepare to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. 
It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. In love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, your love remained steadfast. You bid your faithful people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast that renewed by your word and sacrament and fervent in prayer and works of justice and mercy, we may come to the fullness of grace that you have prepared for those who love you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, by whom you sent in the fullness of time to redeem the world. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in our likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He took upon himself our sin and death, and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I invite you now to take the bread, the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat in remembrance of him. This is the cup of salvation poured out in the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink in remembrance of him. O Lord Jesus, we thank you for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Thank you for that sacrifice you have made for us and for that grace and that spirit with which you have filled us. 
May your Holy Spirit continue to fill us. Glorify yourself through our lives, given over to you in your precious and holy name. Amen. I invite you now to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 419 in the hymnal, I Am Thine, O Lord. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3. Thanks be to God for that cross of Jesus Christ by which he has opened up the way to everlasting life. Let us stay always near that cross. Go now in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.